You are listening to Gauntlet Radio on CGSW 90.9 FM on the University of Calgary campus in Calgary, Alberta. My name is Troy Hasselman, and I'll be your host. This is our December 2019 edition. Gauntlet Radio is the radio show ran by The Gauntlet, the University of Calgary's independent student publication. For this month's episode, we'll have a discussion between myself and Adrian Erlocker from Big Winter Classic about this year's festival, which just had its lineup announced. That will be followed by a segment from myself about some of the top albums from this year. First, here's my interview with Adrian Erlocker. Since its beginnings in 2016, the Big Winter Classic has become as much of a winter tradition in Calgary as snowstorms and the Flames losing in the first round of the playoffs. The four-day festival takes over Calgary venues like Broken City, Last Best Brewing, and others, with live bands from across Alberta and the rest of North America. This year's lineup includes headliners like Ezra Furman, Bully, and No Age. Here to tell us a bit more about the Big Winter Classic is its director, Adrian Erlocker. So this will be the fifth year for the Big Winter Classic. And where did the original idea for Big Winter Classic come from? We we actually started as a summer festival. So we started originally as just big. And one of our things were, how do you stay relevant year-round and not just become a, a ticketed event once a year? So uh, the winter event came up as an idea to keep big relevant year-round, but it quickly took over. It was one of those things where we realized uh, January, February, and March, January, February, March are a massive shoulder season in Calgary with not a lot to do. Like our, our festival season is really made August where we have over 1700 festivals. Uh, and we really didn't have much in the winter. So after we ran our first one at the ship and anchor, um, it kind of just took off from there. And we actually departed from our summer event and turned into a winter festival. For the lineup this year, you have some big names for headliners like Ezra Furman, Bully and No Age. And, now, we wouldn't have time to get into the entire lineup, but would you be able to talk about some of the artists that you're really excited about this year? Well, hey, one of the artists I'm extremely excited about is Ron Gallo, and Ron Gallo comes to us from Nashville. We actually got a chance to see Ron Gallo perform in, at South by Southwest in 2018, so this was kind of two years in the making. We've been trying to get him. We tried to get him last year. Uh, art Rock, Raj Rock, we watched him open for the Black Angels, and he literally blew my mind. It was one of those shows I, I still haven't forgotten. So I'm really excited to bring that show to a small stage in Calgary. It's going to be awesome. And I think, you know, from the local standpoint, really excited to have Sun Glaciers back. That's one of the shows I, I really look forward to. Sweetberry Wine, Crystallize. You know, the lineup's really deep. We're well over 75 bands. So there's there's a little bit of something for everybody. One of the things I've always liked about Big Winner is how it gives a platform for local artists to play on the same stage as more established acts. You were mentioning Sun Glaciers there. And could you talk about how the festival helps foster the local scene and just how important that is to give a stage to these bands from Calgary? Oh, absolutely. You know what? That's really one of our, that's been one of our mandates since day one. One of the things, you know, as we grow and bring in more out of town bands, obviously that helps with the overall visual and how, how we're able to get out and reach other markets. But our, we've always hung our hat on local shows. Like we eat over 80% of the festival is Alberta based. And one of our major things is whatever bands we have coming in from out of market, we want them to be surrounded by our local talent. Again, we're putting big shows in small venues 
But uh, yeah, innovating and making sure that our local our local bands have a big play at the festival is huge for us. But also having them perform alongside again Weaves, Ron Gallo, Ezra Furman, that's extremely important to us. Aside from music at the festival, there's also also a visual art element to it. A big studio. Uh, could you talk a bit about some of the art that's going to be on display there and how Big Studio came about? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, Big Studio, uh, this is our third year with Big Studio being part of Big, which is really our art arm. What we're doing this year is that we're going to be doing intake for artists to customize our stage designs. Um, we've done some stage designs in the past, but our art display this year will take place via Big Studio. So we'll be doing intake for local artists to be able to come in and create a unique backdrop. One of our things is that we... Half our shows happen in non-traditional venues. How do you transform those and create a space for people to enjoy the shows and, and have a little bit of a different backdrop has, has always been important to us. Uh, and another element this year that we're doing is that we have partnered with uh, some local craft brewers. Last year, we created our own beer, which was the Big Brew. This year, what we're doing is we're going to have custom art designs for established beers that these brewers already have. So Blind Man Brewing, for example, will be doing their New England Pale Ale. Uh, and then we have a whole series of big cans that will be in the liquor stores and will be at all our venues throughout the festival. So the two elements will be a stage design and custom beer cans. And I've already seen the cans. They are awesome. I can't wait to share those with the world. And you were talking about how you have a lot of non-traditional venues at this festival, and that comes along with more traditional venues like Broken City or Palomino. Could you talk a bit about the venues and how big of a role that plays in the festival? Yeah, so our, our kind of home base is Broken City and Last Bass Brewing in the Stilling. Anybody who's been to Last Bass knows that they're not a live music venue, <laughs> but we managed to build two stages there. We do a stage outside and a stage inside. Same with Broken City. There's a stage we use the rooftop patio, and then we use the inside. But then we've been using, this year, we're going to be fully in the belt line. So people are going to be able to get to all of our venues all in six blocks. But non-traditional venues will be like Inner City Brewing, for example. Not a music venue, but we build a really unique stage there. They got a wonderful space for live music. Anybody that was there last year, um, we heard a lot about how much people like uh, Inner City. And then we're going to be using a bunch of the smaller local businesses. Goat, for example, is a little small lifestyle salon in the Beltline. So we'll be setting up a singer-songwriter stage in there. And then we have a couple of secret spaces uh, that I can't really tell you much about because they'll be part of our uh, shuttle tours. But we have, they're all within the Beltline and they're all within six blocks of Broken City. And... This will be the fifth year for the festival, the winter version of the festival, and it's grown and established itself quite a bit in that time. How would you like to see it continue to grow, like looking five years down the road from now? Well, hey, like this might be a silly comment. One of our goals from day one was to reinvent Electric Avenue. Uh, the Beltline itself right now, the downtown economy and what's going on in Calgary is extremely tight. Uh, we want to create uh, an economic event that's going to bring business to our small businesses in downtown Calgary. And what I would love to see eventually is to see us take over an entire street outdoors. We're really one of the only cities in Canada that does not have a major outdoor winter festival. Uh, Edmonton has like three or four of them. So, you know, to have something like that, create an all-ages, all-inclusive uh, platform for our communities to come together is extremely important. But uh, I would say within five years, I, I can see us having an entire street blocked off down in the Beltline. It's a real, truly outdoor festival feeling. Mm-hmm. And one cool way that people can support the festival is by joining the Big List. Could you talk a bit about the Big List? 
Yeah, we so we did our announcement party on Saturday, and what it is is it's going to be a big membership, and it's twenty bucks. We'll get you a, a beer ticket and some swag. But what we're going to do, creating, we want to create these um, kind of membership style parties, like we did this weekend, which was extremely successful. And it's just a way for people to stay ahead of the curve. So early bird pricing on all tickets, uh, special invites to our summer events and our announcement parties. Uh, and then first line of attack for, you know, getting some vintage swag and or new swag as it comes out for bids. Uh, just a way to kind of keep people connected with what we're doing, creates a newsletter that'll go out quarterly. And, uh, you know, again, we need to bind our communities. And what we're really trying to do is just try to find a platform for, uh, you know, us to all connect and, and continue the dialogue for music sharing in the city. And is there anything else you'd like to add in? No, hey, we, we just announced our full lineup today. So, you know, obviously we'll get some trickle down, but we're, we're 75 plus. Uh, we will be announcing day schedules and day passes this Thursday at 10 a.m. And uh, no, yeah, we're, we're extremely excited. It's a lot of work to do yet before January. But uh, yeah, if you want to go check out, listen to our bands, please head over to the website, bigwinterclasses.com. And we also have a series of, of playlists that we curate or our bands and our partners curate. Uh, and this Friday, we'll be dropping one that will include our entire lineup. So there'll be... 150 plus songs on there that will give you everybody an opportunity to to give our our musicians a good listen all right that sounds great thanks a lot i'm really excited for the festival yeah hey trey thank you so much i I really appreciate you guys uh giving us a platform it it means a lot to us to to get this out and share in the community so i'll drop you guys an email with some information and how we can get you guys at the festival and again we do we really appreciate the support we wouldn't be anything without without you guys sharing our story For most of the world, 2019 has been a rough year in nearly every way that you can measure such a thing, but one area where it has come through in spades has been music. This year has brought a ton of great releases from all the artists that I'm going to be profiling in this segment and countless others in what has been one of the best years for new releases that I can remember. And right now, in no particular order, I'm going to count down my picks for the five best albums that have been released in 2019. First off, I'm going to go with a self-titled debut studio album from Better Oblivion Community Center. And Better Oblivion Community Center is the collaborative project between Phoebe Bridgers and Connor Oberst. And while it might not be the greatest album of 2019, you'd be hard-pressed to find one more charming or compulsively listenable than this collaboration between the two indie superstars. Now, with most collaborative albums between two major stars, there can be a lot of pitfalls that can arise. The songs can be very undercooked. The project can have a lengthy running time. But there's a remarkable lack of excess on this record. It clocks in at a clean 10 songs in 37 minutes. And all 10 of these songs are fully fleshed out. There's thoughtful arrangements and there's engaging lyrics and that show this album have the same amount of effort put into that that you would get from either artist's solo work. And the songs in this album touch on topics like post-Trump political disillusionment or Breacher's home city of Los Angeles and the 2016 death of Connor Ober's brother. 
A great song that really sums up the record is the lead single, Dylan Thomas, which brings a more up-tempo arrangement than what we're used to seeing from either Phoebe Bridgers or Connor Oberst, while delivering some of the funniest lyrics of either's career. The record brings in shades of the previous works of both artists, while the two differing styles complement each other to create a new fusion of the work between the two. The directness of Obert's music comes together with the depths of Bridger's music to make something that is the best work Obert has released in years, and just the latest entry for Bridger's, whose catalog is already something to reckon with, definitely, and has shown herself time and time again to be one of the most exciting singer-songwriters that's working today. Between this and her solo album, A Stranger in the Alps, and the really great EP that she released with Julian Baker and Lucy Dacus last year called Boy Genius, And next on this list is All My Heroes Are Cornballs from JPEG Mafia. And fresh off the heels of the cult audience that he gained from last year's veteran album, he had an easy incentive to go in the same direction that he went on his previous album. And JPEG Mafia spent the next nearly two years building a name for himself for his aggressive live shows and just the sheer amount of noise and confrontation that exists in his music. And now these live shows include an explosive performance at Calgary Sled Island Festival, which is easily the best show I've seen this year, bar none. However, on All My Heroes Are Cornballs, JPEG Mafia decided to go in a way more lush direction while preserving the weirdness of Veteran and what made that album so unique. This album isn't necessarily less abrasive than its predecessor, but it just moved in a different form of abrasion. The songs are built around more dense loops that value composition ahead of the noisy antagonism that you'd get on Veteran. His anger is still here as well, with his targets still heavily informed by the internet culture that his music is birthed from, with incels, music bloggers, and Twitter trolls all subjected to the same ire that's become JPEG Mafia's signature over his career. And the artistic left turn that JPEG Mafia has made in this album just shows his versatility as an artist and allows for a lot more breathing room for where he is going further and leaves me a lot more excited about where his career is going for him. He's not just an artist that has his music existing in one aggressive mode. There are layers and depth to what he does, and I'm very excited to see what he does next. Up next is another hip-hop album, which is Billy Woods and Kenny Siegel's Hiding Places. Now, the musical aesthetic of Hiding Places is kind of given away by the album cover, which shows a really dilapidated Victorian mansion in the middle of a slow collapse positioned against a gray, overcast sky. Now, this album isn't pretty. It's a collaboration between veteran MC Billy Woods and underground producer Kenny Siegel that deals with themes of poverty. Now, Hiding Places reads out like a collection of loosely linked short stories. There are no hooks, and the two-note production makes it sound like the synthesizers on the album and the drum machines are melting down as you're listening to them. But despite the lack of hooks, the songs are still just as earwormy as any other hip-hop release this year. There's a passion for words in this album that isn't measured up to from any release this year, hip-hop or otherwise. Wood's wordplay, diction, and non-sequiturs hold this album together and make for a completely engrossing listen. The running theme of poverty manifests itself in medical bills, on forward mail, and delayed surgeries, which show up in the songs throughout the album. Woods takes a look at the hard financial side of being an underground workman-like rapper. He's not flaunting his wealth here. He talks about money in a different way than you would see from a lot of other rap releases. He talks about his financial struggles. He talks about being in debt. He talks about struggling to afford health care. 
Woods is worried about the same financial issues as the rest of us. And this kind of brutal honesty can make hiding places be an uncomfortable listen. But this uncomfortable vibe is perfectly complemented by the just world-ending production that Siegel uses throughout the album. Next up is the self-titled debut album from Purple Mountains, which tragically turned out to be the last Purple Mountains album as well. Now, the death of Purple Mountains frontman David Berman mere weeks after the release of this album, his first musical project since the end of Silver Jews in 2009, has become sadly really inseparable from the music on this project, which deals with themes of death, depression, and loneliness. Though if Berman were still alive today, this record would be just as deserving as a spot on this list. The songs of this record, they're at once laugh-out-loud funny, they're poignant, they're introspective, they're self-deprecating. And they were that way when this album was released in July, and they're still the same way today. While this is one of the most musically realized albums of Berman's career, and a lot of credit there goes to Berman's backing band, which consisted of the full lineup of the Brooklyn indie rock band Woods, the lyrics remain the star attraction here, as they do any of Berman's other output. Berman was one of the few rock lyricists capable of making music that measured up against real, honest-to-God poetry, and Berman was a poet in his own right, and one of the few musicians to write poetry books that stand on their own merits and separate from the greater context of their lyrics. Berman's songs read like poems. There are other great rock musicians to publish poems. Leonard Cohen comes to mind, but his written poetry does sound very different than the music that he would release on record. The songs on Purple Mountains that read like very enthusiastically written prose poems with Berman in top lyrical form. While we can only now speculate on what kind of music from Berman we'll be missing out on in his absence, we have this album, and not to mention the rest of his impeccable outfit with the Silver Jews as a parting gift that really encapsulates all of what he was as an artist. The last album I'll be talking about will be Pony from the anonymous masked country troubadour Orville Peck. Now in the span of a year, Orville Peck has gone from obscurity to bona fide stardom at the helm of the year's second most popular country crossover hit. Can't quite beat Old Town Road in that regard. On Pony... Peck channels the outlaw country of Merle Haggard and Waylon Jennings, the balladeering and storytelling of singers like Dolly Parton and Bobby Gentry and his own past in the East Vancouver punk scene into a wholly unique sound. Tracks like Dead of Night, Hope to Die, or Turn to Hate, they all bring a reverb-drenched outlaw swagger that keeps one foot in all the past influences and references found in his work and another foot in the future that his work embodies. There's bits of shoegaze in here, there's bits of punk, there's bits of 60s AM radio country hits. There are guitar tones here that sound like they were taken straight off the Slow Dive record released in 1991, while there are vocal performances that sound like they could have been done by Patsy Cline. And the record draws heavily on heartbreak, but Peck sounds anything but dejected on Pony. He rather instead harnesses the charisma of his outlaw persona into a sound. And his anonymity and mask could easily be dismissed as a gimmick if the songs weren't so good. But instead, Pony is a work that stands on its own. Being attached to one of the most intriguing musical personas to emerge in recent memory is just an added bonus to that. 
Now, aside from these five, there have been a lot of other really incredible albums to be released this year, some of which I'll give an honorable mention here. Uh, the Toronto punk band Pop came out with their third album, Morbid Stuff, which was a more than worthy follow-up to 2016's The Dream Is Over. The album dealed with themes of isolation, depression, and just trying to get by and make ends meet in 2019, and did so while being one of the most fun and enjoyable records to come out this year. I saw this band twice live this year, and they were both two of the just two of the most incredible, most fun shows that I saw all this year or any other year. Another great album to be released this year, which came out just recently a few weeks ago, is Magdalene from... British R&B singer and experimentalist FKA Twigs. Magdalene is a breakup album. It was inspired by Twigs' breakup with actor Robert Pattinson and some physical trauma that she went through as well. And this album is at once a emotionally resonant breakup album and, on the other hand, a very forward-thinking, experimental, groundbreaking pop album. The opening track here, A Thousand Eyes, it opens with what sounds like a phantom Gregorian chant. And the closing track here, Cellophane, which is one of my favorite tracks that I've heard all year, is this very sparse piano ballad that is built around a repetitive line and is just twigs and her vocals, and she shows just the sheer power that she can bring with just a voice performance and a piano. Another great album to be released this year would be Caligula by Lingua Ignota, which is another breakup album, but a much more aggressive and much more angry breakup album than you would hear from FK Twigs or really anyone for that matter this year. Her music deals a lot with trauma and abuse and takes on a very vengeful tone throughout. I saw her perform at Sled Island in 2018 where she opened for the body and delivered one of the most gripping performances I've ever seen during that festival. It's one of the few times where my jaw literally dropped to the ground when she performed the first notes of her first song. And the album has the same effect. It is absolutely striking. It is visceral and heavy. It is just the heaviest album to come out this year. If you're looking for an equivalent to it in terms of how a piece of art made me feel this year from a different medium, it's kind of the musical equivalent of watching the movie Midsommar. It's the same mixture of exhilarating, terrifying, heartbreaking, and awe-inspiring. A great, more lighthearted album to come out this year was, you know what I'm saying, from Detroit rapper Danny Brown. And Danny Brown's building quite a name for himself in the underground rap scene over the last decade, releasing some of the best rap albums of the last 10 years in Triple X and Atrocity Exhibition. And those albums all were very ambitious, high-concept albums. And this one, he took a step back and made just a really fun, very funny punchline rap album. It's the happiest Danny Brown album I've definitely heard this decade. He's seems more at peace with himself. He seems 
overall with okay with who he is and where his life is at the themes of addiction that came up so frequently on his past music doesn't rear its head quite as much here it's just danny brown deciding to make a fun rap album and he sounds like he's having more fun than he's ever had on this release the best string arrangements i've heard from any release all year would be from angel olsen's new album all mirrors which came out in october and it shows a very firm artistic leap for angel olsen with 2016's My Woman drawing heavily from kind of 70s FM rock like Neil Young or Fleetwood Mac and this album drawing heavily from more orchestral work and putting Angel Olsen's voice just in a maelstrom of string with her voice floating in the middle of it works absolutely incredibly. Another great release this year is the political motivated hip-hop from British rapper Slow Tie, which has completely grown on me over the year and is now one of the best British hip-hop albums I've heard in years. It's in your face, it's aggressive, it's thoughtful, and one of the best topical albums that I've heard this year, bar none. Another great release from this year is Wise Blood's Titanic Rising, which deals a lot with themes of environmentalism and is a very forward-thinking singer-songwriter album. Tracks like Movies move her songwriting into a much more ambient direction, and it's some of the most innovative singer-songwriter music I've heard this year, and you're going to see her on a lot of people's year-end lists this year, and deservedly so. Another great singer-songwriter album to come out this year is Remind Me Tomorrow from Sharon Van Etten, which was released in January and is the follow-up to her 2014 album, Are We There? This album takes a more rock-oriented approach than her past music and brings almost a stadium rock feel to the album, which is a really interesting clash with how introverted most of her music is. We also got great albums this year from veterans like Deer Hunter, Tom York, the National, Flying Lotus, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, and Vampire Weekend, who released their first album since 2013. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention my favorite song of the year, which came on what was unfortunately not my favorite album of the year, though it was a lot of people's favorite album of the year. I've never quite been able to get behind this band fully as much as a lot of other people have, but Big Thief at their song Not from their second album to be released this year, Two Hands, is bar none the best song I've heard this year. It just builds off this one repetitive rhythm and turns into this very cathartic, noise-drenched guitar solo, and it's just absolutely awe-inspiring. It reminds me of some of my favorite songs I've ever heard, like David Bowie's Heroes or Talking Heads, This Must Be the Place, where you take one repeating groove and you build on it and build on it and get more and more chaotic and loud as the song progresses. And it does just that to a really, really devastating effect. And for that, it's my favorite song of the year. I'm sure there's lots of other really great releases this year that I'm missing out on, but I'd like to encourage everybody that's listening to go to some shows in your home city, shop at your local record store, 
and just support local artists and local music in any way that you can because all of the artists that I've mentioned in this list, they all started somewhere. And if you're looking to find the next great band or the next piece of music that you really, really love, there's no better place to start than here. That's all for the December 2019 issue of Gauntlet Radio. This show is produced by me, Troy Hasselman, at CGSW 90.9 FM in Calgary, Alberta, at the University of Calgary campus located on Treaty 7. I'd like to take this opportunity to acknowledge the territory of the people of the traditional Treaty 7 region in southern Alberta. The city of Alberta is also home to Métis Nation of Alberta Region 3. I would like to thank Adrian Erlocker from Big Winter Classic for speaking with us this month. For more stories about what is going on on campus and around the city, please pick up the latest issue of The Gauntlet from one of our over 50 stands across campus. Our theme music is Kremlin Gremlin by Calgary's own Pure Support. Take care, everyone. <laughs>